Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a big shout of praise real quick. Man, I'm telling you, it's so amazing to me how we'll come to church and I don't talk to the praise team about the songs they're going to sing. I don't ask Chandra what she's going to pray about. And literally, they prayed and sung the message. No, I'm serious. Chandra, I don't know. She, she didn't say it. She didn't say the scripture, but she quoted it. My opening scripture in my notes. What is it, Chris? Right there, what it say? Psalm 20 and 7. And, and here's what Psalm 20 and 7 says. I ain't going to make you read. <laughs> it says, some nations take pride in their chariots, and other nations take pride in their horses. But we take pride in the name of our Lord. And when she was praying this morning, she said that, and that's the, that's the opening to my message. We have got to learn to trust in God more than anything else we can come across. More than our education, more than our finances, more than our networks, more than the economy. We have got to put our trust in the name of the Lord. When, when God stamps something, that should supersede anybody else's opinion. So whatever God has declared about your life, it should supersede anybody else's opinion, even your own. So if God called you blessed, don't call yourself anything but blessed. If God called you healed, don't call yourself anything but healed. Whatever God has said about you is the truth. Everything else is just what your perception is. And so this morning, I want to jump in real quick. I'm going to be quick because I, I took up some of your time in worship, and I ain't sorry about that. <laughs> but, but, but I want to spend some time real quick this morning, and I want to, I want to revisit the four points uh, that I talked about last week. I didn't, I didn't lay them out as points last week, but this week I'm going to lay them out as, as points. And when I lay them out uh, for you, the, the whole purpose of this is to get you down this path of trusting God more than you trust yourself. And when I say trusting yourself, yes, you're supposed to trust the God in you, but listen, even if you make a mistake, it doesn't disqualify you. I've been saying that and saying that and saying that and I've gotten some pushback from some of my pastor friends, but I've asked him to show me in the word where it said, because if you show me in the word, I'll change. But, but, but just because your church told you that or just because your ex-pastor told you that or just because religion told you that don't mean I'm going to accept that. But if you show me in the word where a mistake disqualifies you, I'll believe it. But the, my Bible tells me that Jesus died so that my mistakes wouldn't circumvent the promise that he had already made. And so I, if I got to believe a report, I'm going to believe his. And so this morning I want to talk about, again, moving beyond the mechanics of faith. Because when we talk about faith, the, you know, I, I, I was blessed, that I, I blessed or cursed, depending on how you saw it. As a kid, it was cursed. I realize now it was a blessing. I grew up in a pretty strict Pentecostal church. But in doing so, they taught us to reverence God. Yes. Now, they told us a bunch of stuff that really wasn't true. Like, you know, if you have one drink, you're going to go to hell. You know, and if you went out on Friday night, the God was displeased and a bunch of other stuff. But what it did do is it taught us to reverence God. And in the reverence of God, it drew me down this path to get to know God better. The problem in our today's generation is we got a lot of kids who don't know God. Like, they don't even know about God. And so, so they don't have any reverence for the things of God. So if what they are doing doesn't satisfy them, then they don't see a need to do it. And what I'm preaching to you is not que sera, sera. You just can't go do whatever you want to do and say you love God. If you are going to be a person who loves God, then you're going to be a person who wants to please the Lord. Now, how many know that in your pleasing, sometimes you miss it? But in any good relationship, have, in, in any good relationship, when you disappoint the other party, the other party, if they love you back, don't just throw you away. Now, if you're in a relationship with anybody and you mess up one time, and they throw you away. You should give God praise because they didn't they weren't for you anyway. Real relationship is based on love and love says that we think the best about other people. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor, love gives the benefit, the benefit of the doubt. Of the doubt. That's why in a marriage you like, it, now is that, is that how we talking to each other? Because the benefit is we don't talk to each other like that. So before I get you, I'm going to ask. But love gives the benefit of the doubt. 
So I want to talk to you about moving beyond the mechanics of faith. The mechanics of faith are these things. When we come to the Word of Faith Church, we tell people, we say, okay, the number one thing you got to do after you get saved is you got to build your faith. And I believe that. But building your faith isn't just knowing about faith. It, you know, just knowing that you're supposed to make confessions. Just knowing that you're supposed to ask God. Just the idea of believing is it, not what's going to cause things to manifest in your life. Because the Bible even says it like this. It says, show me, it says, show me your faith. It, it says, show me your acts and I'll show you your faith. So there ought to, there ought to be some corresponding action to what we say we believe. So I'm not telling you when I'm preaching this that all you got to do is say you believe God and sit back and do nothing. Because I'm going to show you at the end of today's message that if you believe God, you're doing something. So when we talk about moving beyond the mechanics of faith, last week I said most people struggle with this thing I call self-effort phobia. It is this idea that if I don't do enough, God ain't going to be pleased. And if God ain't pleased, then I'm not going to receive whatever it is I'm believing for. The problem is, is that this ideology is based on the idea that if my performance is not stellar enough, then I can never qualify. The problem is, is that no matter how good you are, you never really qualify for what God has done for you. I mean, anybody in here name one thing you ever done that, made, that, that qualifies Jesus going to the cross for you? I'll wait. Tell me, tell me five good things you did that qualifies you to receive what Christ did on the cross. I'll wait. And the truth of the matter is, there is nothing that we have done to ever deserve that. And the Bible says if God is so willing to give us his only begotten son, why wouldn't he give us everything else? And that's the thing that trips the church up. We, we're tripping about where the bills are going to get paid. He gave us Jesus. If he gave us Jesus, you don't think he'll pay a light bill? He gave us Jesus. You don't think he'll heal you from cancer? He gave us Jesus. You don't think he can fix your relationship? The truth of the matter is we're putting something, this, 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 the small thing, and forgetting about the big thing he's already done. So faith causes us to say, wait a minute. My faith is not in my ability to do the right thing. My faith ought to be in the, in the, in the fact that Jesus said he's already done it. And so when we talk about believing God, we're not talking about believing we can make something happen. We're talking about believing God's already done something. And so last week, I talked to you real quick about the law of Moses. And I said that the law of Moses locks us into the continual self-effort cycle. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. It's, time it's time to break, break. the self-effort self cycle. We got to break that. We got to break it. Pastor Sean was talking to me this weekend. She's, uh, she's on the East Coast. And she said she was sitting, listening to a woman preach. In the entire message, and I know it vexed her because she, she kept texting me. The whole message, the woman kept talking about how if people didn't stop doing certain things, how God wasn't going to bless them. And if you get 500 people together and the only thing you can tell people is how bad they are and how every mistake they make, God ain't going to do nothing for them. Then even, even, even those people, they don't start loving God. They start fearing God. So now they got this fear. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I made a mistake. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor. neighbor. And I say this all the time. Tell them, say, if you walk with God long enough, you, God long enough, you, are, you are going to miss him. To miss him. I, I need you to let that sink in. I need, and, and I, listen, if you walk with God for any length of time, at some point you are going to think God said something and it's not going to be what he said. You are going to think that God said do something. You're going to do it with all of your might, and it's going to be wrong. But that doesn't mean God disqualifies you. In the same way that a good parent doesn't disqualify their kid when their kids miss it. And I mean no kids miss it. Heck, sometimes they miss it on purpose. Raise your hand. Say, I'm kids. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, not, not your kids, you kids. And sometimes we miss God on purpose because what God said didn't fit the mandate we wanted to do at the time. And so we choose to go our own way and do our own thing, but God's a good father, so he keeps loving us. Even when we get ourselves in situations we shouldn't have got in, the Bible says that when we call out to him, there he is picking us up out of the, mud, out of the muck and the marrow. Why? Because he's a good God like that. 
So we got to get out of this self-effort cycle, thinking that somehow I have to be perfect, I have to perform, I have to do, I have to, I have to get a gold star in order to be to be God's favorite child. No, Jesus died to put you in that position. So then it comes down to this thing we call grace. And grace is all about believing and receiving. It's not about working and deserving. Grace is all about believing and receiving. It is not about working and deserving. Any of the works I do, I do them because I love God, not because I'm trying to get God to do something for me. And if you don't understand that, it seems like semantics, but it's not. There's a big difference. There's a huge difference in doing something out of love and doing something so that somebody won't be mad at you. Oh, y'all ain't going to say nothing. Some of you are in toxic relationships because you spend time doing things for people so they won't be mad at you rather than doing it out of love. If you ask me to take you somewhere and I can't or I don't feel like it, I say no. I love you. But if I take you, I don't feel like it. It's going to build resentment in me. So the only way I can really do something to keep my heart right is to do it out of love. So when God asks me to do something, even when I don't want to do it, I implement what I learned about the thinking feeling cycle and I change my mind about it. Because I say to myself on a weekly basis, I love what God loves. So if God loved to go, to, go, to go left, then I go left. If God loved to go right, then I go right. Because whatever I find myself loving is what I'm going to find myself doing without resentment. Y'all didn't hear that. If you don't learn to love what God loves, you may be doing the right thing, but you will end up resenting God for doing it. And when you resent God for doing it, there is no blessing because there's nothing attached to it because love is the only thing that causes manifestation to come to pass. Hello, I know because the Bible says that faith only works by love. So if, if, if everything is received by faith, then my faith is only powered by So whatever I am doing for God, I better be doing it in because if I'm doing it in resentment, there is no manifestation. So daring to believe God can only be done through grace. When Pastor John was saying, I dare you to believe God, what, what, she, she's not talking about your self-effort. She's not talking about you willing yourself to try to love God. She's literally saying you got to tap into God's grace to love him enough that everything he asks you to do, you're willing to do it because you love it. And that even if you mess up while you're doing it, it doesn't disqualify you because love is the connector. So here are the four things we talked about last week. Number one. I said relying on your own efforts puts us back under the law. Relying on our own efforts puts us back under the law. Relying on our own efforts puts us back under the law. Jesus rescued us from, rescued us from the law. The law said every time they made a mistake, they had to make an atonement for it. That's what the Kojic church used to tell us. <laughs> every time you made a mistake, you had to atone for it. So every time you messed up and they had church, you had to go back up there and get saved again. You sure did. And you didn't have to have no calf or nothing, but you had to atone. You had to come up there and you had to ask God to forgive you again and hope that before you got back next Wednesday or Friday night or Saturday at YPWW that you didn't die. And so literally, we grew up in a state of how much can I do before I get back to church? And some of y'all live like that right now. You mess up on Monday. And you hold it till you get here on Sunday and then cry and let it all out. You ain't got to wait till Sunday. You can say, God, I missed it. I apologize. Help me to do better. And God, I help you to do better. Why? Because we're not performing for God. Relying on our own efforts puts us back under the law. The Bible says so in Galatians 3, 13 and 14. It says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive, watch this, the promise of the Spirit, how? Through faith. So Christ has redeemed us. Say, Christ, Christ. has redeemed us redeemed. from the curse. So if Christ has redeemed us from the curse, why are we still trying to live like we're under the law? Everything we have under this new covenant, we receive through Jesus Christ, not through our own performance. You don't receive healing through your performance. You don't receive deliverance through your performance. You don't, really, you don't receive the Holy Spirit through your performance. 
Nothing in the, new in the new covenant can be received through performance. Everything is received through Jesus. And the reason it's received through Jesus is because he came to be a curse for us so that what we used to have to perform for, we no longer do. Christ paid the ransom and delivered us from being cursed from our inability to perform according to the law's requirement. I used the example last week. I said if person A lets person B borrow $100, Person B is indebted to person A. Person A still, still has the $100, even though person B is in possession of it. I said, but if person C comes along and pays person A the $100, person A now can't look at person B for the money back because the ransom has been paid. We are person B. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is person C. And the law is person A. The law cannot require perfection of me anymore. Because Jesus came and paid the ransom that says they good. And when someone pays your debt and say they good, then you got to act like you good or a person A going to keep bullying you. But I know a lot of y'all. And if somebody paid your debt and person A said something to you, you wouldn't just sit there and take it. You'd be like, child, boo. <laughs> Person, see them pay my debt. You stick your chest out, start strutting around like you ain't never owed nobody nothing. As well you should, because your debt has been paid. I wish I could get some of y'all to stick your chest out. I wish some of you could strut around like Jesus Christ has paid a debt for you, and you ain't got to perform for the devil no more. Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That was point number one. Number two, last week we said that Jesus' works and not ours position us to receive blessings. It is the work of Jesus. It is what Jesus has done, not us, that puts us in, pos in position to receive what we call blessings. It is the work of the Lord that you woke up this morning. Oh, but pastor, I set my alarm clock. So did a lot of other people who didn't wake up this morning. It ain't your work in setting the alarm clock. It is because of the goodness of God that you opened your eyes this Sunday morning. It is the works of Jesus, not our own, that positions us to receive blessings. We simply have to have faith in what has already been done. The simplest thing that I can think about is when we talk to people about receiving salvation. We tell people, Jesus died for you. He died on the cross. He went to the grave. He went to hell. He snatched the keys from the devil. And two and a half days later, <laughs> y'all missed that. Because they preached that Friday, all day Friday, Saturday, that two and a half days. But anyway, three days later, he got up with all power in his hand. And when he got up with all power in his hand, you and I tell people now that if they will accept Jesus, that something in the afterlife is available to them. I believe it. Any believers in here? Yeah, if you saved, you believe it. So we actually have the power to believe in something that we cannot see yet. In fact, we believe it so much we staked our life on it. We are staking our life that because of what Jesus did, our works don't have to do it, and we receive it by faith. Well, if that's true where salvation is concerned, it's true where your bills are concerned. It's true where your mental health is concerned. It's true where your physical health is concerned. It's true where your relationships are concerned. It's true with the well-being of your kids are concerned. Everything that Jesus did positions us to receive the blessing, not our works. Well, pastor, how do you know? The Bible says in Romans 4, 1 through 6. Romans 4 through 6 says this. It says, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he would have a reason to glorify or to glory. But not before God. For what said the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but it's out of a debt. If I go to work, they're supposed to pay me. 
I don't have to brag about the fact they paid me. When, when you use electricity at your house, when you use water at your house, when you use internet or cable at your house, if you're paying for it, <laughs> then when you go pay your bill, the company doesn't go, yay! Why? Because you owe them. They're like, no, you use 42 kilowatts this month. Pay us that 425 you owe us. Why? Because they want their money. They're not going to clap for you because you did what you were supposed to. Well, the Bible says the same thing is true. If you get something that you work for, you ain't got a glory before God about it. If you work for it. It says, but to him that does not work, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. In other words, he says God considered Abraham a righteous man, not because Abraham did everything right, but because Abraham simply believed God. If you study Abraham, Abraham did a lot. He messed up a lot. The first thing he did is God said, go to a place where I'm going to show you. He went to a place and stopped. It, it's like if you tell your kids, come over here, and they walk halfway, you're going to be like, did I not tell you to come here? Here. If they stop halfway, you're looking at them like something wrong with them. That's what Abraham did. God said, I'm going to show you a place where you're going to go. He got to a place, and he pitched the tent and stayed. In fact, he stayed until his father-in-law passed away. And then God said, all right, you ready to go now? <laughs> That's how God does us. He loves us even when we stop. Yeah. Ooh. Even when we pitch a tent, even when we build a house in a place we weren't supposed to, even when we make our bed in situations that God never told us to be in, he keeps loving us until we decide, all right, we're ready to go. And so then he told Abraham, go. He said, Abraham, come on, let me show you something. He said, I want you to look out there. He said, I'm going to bless you like all them stars you see. He said, you see all that sand out there? And they was in the desert. He said, I'm going to bless you like all that sand you see out there. Abraham said, man, sounds about right to me, God. And then he goes off, and the first thing he does after he receives that is he lies. He says, man, listen, this girl I got bad. <laughs> and if these men see, y'all need to read the Bible. That's what he said. He said, this wife of mine is so enough fine. And if these dudes see her, they're going to want her. And listen, I can't fight them all. He said, so what I need you to do, babe, <laughs> tell them you my sis. The Bible says she was like, all right. So the men find out. They're like, yo, Abraham, what have you done to us? One of us could have slept with her and God would have cursed all of us. He says, man, take your wife and this money and get up out of here. And the Bible says that God blessed Abraham. Got his wife back and the money. And in my mind, for years, I'm like, God, you telling me to lie? Because <laughs> a broken lie. God said, no, 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 no. What you miss is everything he did, he did believing me. He was going where I told him to go even when he stopped. So I blessed him because he was still believing I was going to do it. When he went to the next place and he told the lie, he didn't tell the lie because he didn't believe me. He told the lie because he didn't want to die because he believed I was taking him somewhere. So I blessed him even when he told the lie. But we believe in self-effort. And so for us, it's difficult to understand a loving God who will bless us if we're not perfect. But when you step outside of self-effort and say, I'm only doing this because I believe God, a whole new revelation of things open up for you. The Bible says this in Romans 5, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, then we have peace. That word peace means shalom. Nothing missing and nothing broken. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. 
See, God's going to bring you to a place that you couldn't work for, you couldn't take a test for, you couldn't give for, you couldn't pray for, you couldn't fast for, you couldn't serve for, you couldn't do anything to deserve what God's bringing you into. He said, what unlocks the door and gets you to the place that you didn't deserve is believing me. And once you learn to believe me and forget everything else, and even when you're in the midst of your mess up, don't stop believing me, then you'll end up in your right destination. The Bible says in Romans 3, 22 and 23, it says this in the New Living Translation. He says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. That is the reason you can take people who don't know a lot about the Bible at all, and you can tell them or they can hear that God said he was going to do a thing. They believe it with everything they got, and it comes to pass. And you're like, how did they do that? They don't even know what the Bible says and this, 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 and this. The problem is you know what it says, but you don't believe. Going beyond the mechanics of faith. You got to go beyond just being able to quote scripture. You got to be able to actually believe and live that scripture out. So the third thing we talked about, number three, we said that Jesus' body and his blood removed the curse. And there is no need to work to receive what he has done. The blood of Jesus is not just something we sing about. The blood of Jesus was an atoning sacrifice that was good once and for all. The bulls, the doves, everything they used to cut and put on the altar for all of those different seasons, all of that stuff, they had to do it over and over and over and over again. But if you stop and think about it for just a second, the Bible says that Jesus died once. He died one time. And in dying that one time, he took care of all the times we would mess up. So my mess up today was covered 2,000 years ago. My mess up next week was covered 2,000 years ago. So I don't let a mess up mess me up from what God has already done. Because I got to be in this place of knowing that what God did, his body and his blood, that did it for me. When he was on the cross, he looked over and he said, it is finished. What was finished? This, this, this repetitive atoning of stuff that we had messed up for. He says, we're not going to be doing this anymore. We're not going to be spending seasons having to ask God to forgive us. Everything we have done has already been forgiven. I even struggle, and I won't get into all this. I even struggle with this whole idea that we have to make people say the sinner's prayer. Don't, 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 don't run up here on me. Hold on. Because here's what we tell people. If you want to be born again, you've got to confess your sins. And you've got to Confess your sins, and you got to ask God to forgive you. That's the first premise that we say in the sinner's prayer. Then we say, and you got to believe on the Lord Jesus. And you got to believe that he is the Son of Man. you got to believe that he is God's only begotten Son. And you got to ask him to come into your life. I don't find that in Scripture. I, do you? I don't know. I ain't read it. I know. But, but I don't find it in Scripture. It, 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 oh, Pastor, Romans says it. No, it doesn't. Romans says, all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Why? Because the sin issue's been dealt with. Ah, they'll run you up out of some churches, though. Listen, listen, you will get the right foot of fellowship. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus dealt, he, 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 when he said it is finished, he was done dealing with sin. He says, let's move on to some other stuff. Let's talk about raising the dead. Let's talk about healing the sick. Let's talk about some important issues. Because his blood did it for us. How do I know? The Bible says in Ephesians 1 and 7, it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. What's the redemption that we have? The forgiveness of sins. He says, can you put that, there it is. It says, he is so rich, he loaded in kindness and grace that he has purchased our freedom with what? The blood of his son. 
And in doing so, what did he do? He forgave, not forgiving. He forgave. Listen, this is not just semantics. He forgave. What did he forgave? All of our sins. That's why you don't find Jesus talking about that stuff no more. You find religion talking about that. You find the Pharisees and the Sadducees talking about all of that stuff. Talking about what you got to do to be right. Jesus says you just got to believe. Again, we are redeemed and forgiven, not by our own actions, but by Jesus' blood. He paid the ransom for us, not us. I believe that's why even the Apostle Paul in Romans didn't tell us we had to confess our sins. Because he knew it was already done. And if us confessing our sins was part of salvation, then it wasn't totally dependent upon Jesus. Sometimes you just got to pause and think about what you've been taught. It's okay to question. It's okay. okay. God, I tell people all the time, God can handle your questions. And I used to be like, well, if I got to confess my sins, then is it me and you doing the saving? Or is it just you doing the saving? See, all the religious people are like, I'm finna leave. He ain't coming back here no more. That's all right. But the fact of the matter is, if I can get you to stop focusing on sin and stop focusing on your own self-effort, I can get you to focus on loving God more. And the more you love God, the more you want to do things to please God because that's what you do in a loving relationship. Because if telling people what they was going to do to go to hell would make them stop, everybody would stop. But they ain't stopped and it's 2020 already. <laughs> I know it's 2019, but it's 2020 for some of them. Because what they're doing right now, they're going to do next year. And they ain't going to stop and they don't care. So just telling people not to do something is not going to make them stop doing it. It's got to be something deeper than that. And I keep wondering when the church is going to catch on to this. We keep, even our young people, we keep telling our young people, don't smoke, don't drink, don't have sex, don't do this, don't do that. And they're still doing it. So if telling them not to do it was going to be the answer, you'd think that we would have missed out, but we didn't. Raise your hand. Say, say, I'm children. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so the fact of the matter is, is that if we don't do something different, we're going to keep getting the same results. The same results. The truth of the matter is, there are some things in my life that I did not stop doing until I fell in love with God. It was my love for him that caused me to stop doing certain things because I didn't want to disappoint him because I knew how much he loved me. And I didn't feel good when I disappointed him. Not that he made me feel bad, but I didn't feel good. And so because I didn't feel good about how I made him feel, I said, I don't want to feel that way no more. I don't want to do that stuff no more. So I stopped doing that stuff. But not because some pastor told me to stop. And sure not not because some holy saint tried to tell me to stop. Some busybody in the church who was doing something, doing. And here's the thing: we tell people, let us just be real. We tell people to stop doing stuff because we're not doing that thing. Y'all ought to stop all that drinking. But you living with somebody. So let's just move away from all of that stuff and let's just say, hey, let's all fall in love with God. So Jesus' blood delivered us from that. Colossians 1, 3, 1, 13 through 15 tells us that. It says, who has delivered us from the power of darkness? Who has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? In whom do we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin? Who is the image of this invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? It's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one who delivered us. Number four, the last thing we talked about last week. These are the four points. Number four. We said that the Galatian church moved away from trusting grace and they moved toward their their own performance, which is why they were beat by Apostle Paul. The Galatians started off strong. They started off as a church that was that was strong in in, in theology, strong in their principle, strong in their methodology. They were strong in believing God. But something happened. And I tell you, more than likely what happened, I wasn't there, but let me to insert my um, Sanctified imagination. Somebody saw somebody doing something that they wasn't doing. And they said, hmm. You must not love God. Because if you love God, you wouldn't be doing whatever that was. 
And then somebody said, hmm, you must not love God either. Because if you love God, you wouldn't be doing that. And somebody said, I got an idea. Let's make a list. <laughs> Let's make a list of all the stuff people wouldn't do if they really love God. And before you know it, they got into this whole litany of things that people would not be doing if they didn't love God. And it got back to Paul, and Paul said, are you jokers crazy? Have y'all lost y'all mind? Y'all don't believe? Okay, let's go to it. Message translation. Message translation. It's Galatians 3, 1 through 6 in the message translation. Because sometimes y'all be, re be reading that King James. And that's fine. But sometimes you need to read something with some emotion to it. I really, I, I really wish if for no other reason there was a hood Bible. Because I would love to read this after hood version. Just one time. Here's what he says. He says, you crazy Galatians. He said, did somebody put a hex on you? He says, have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. For it is obvious that you no longer have the crucified Christ in clear focus in your lives. Listen, his sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. He says, let me put this question to you. How did you, how did your new life even begin? He said, was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? He says, are you going to continue in this craziness. He says, for only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. He said, if you weren't even smart enough or strong enough to begin the work, how do you suppose you could perfect it? He said, did you grow through this whole painful learning process for absolutely nothing? He said, it is not yet a total loss, but it certainly will be if you keep up this foolishness. He said, so answer me this question. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his own Holy Spirit, working things in your lives that you could never do for yourselves, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving? or because you trust him to do them in you. He says, don't let these things happen among you just as they happened with Abraham. It says he believed God, and that act of belief is what was turned into a life that was right with God. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy thinking that your own self-effort is going to make this thing happen. It's not. How are you going to perfect something you couldn't even start? It's, it, it's, like, it's, like, it's like being a part of a football team. And you complaining that you didn't get to catch the pass for the winning touchdown. But you don't even get to play. It's like you never get on the field. How did you think you was going to catch the winning touchdown? God's like, how did you think you were going to perfect this thing that can only be perfected by me because you somehow had enough effort to get it done? And that's what the Galatians church went through, and they had to get corrected. And I believe this is the correction that God has given to the church even today. Not just our church, but to the body of Christ. we got to stop telling people they got to perform. We got to stop telling people. I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine. We, we different on this opinion, but he's still a good friend of mine. And I was saying to him, we, we don't tell people at our church, you got to give to get a blessing. The Bible don't say that. He said, the Bible talks about being blessed and giving. I said, that is all true, but that is all predicated on believing God. If you believe that the offering does it, you ain't never going to get nothing. Your offering doesn't do anything for you. Your act of obedience and believing God does. He just uses your offering as a medium sometimes. But sometimes he uses you getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning to pray as the medium. 
Sometimes he asks you to be quiet and don't be snippy at work as your medium. But everything is through believing God. And so number four, we said, we must understand that if we are going to believe God, we can't get into this thing of self-effort like the church did in Galatians. The Apostle Paul says that we are deceived if we think self-effort will power us to do a job that only God can do. None of us, most of us in here, would ever think that we could do anything to save ourselves. But a lot of us think we can do something to get ourselves out of debt. Now, don't confuse the two. A lot of us think we can do something to get a job, but you can't. People say to me all the time, Pastor Edwin, tell me how you get a job. I believe God. Now, there's a second part of that that I'm going to show you here right now. But there's a, second, there's a second part of that. I believe God, but I also do something that most people don't do. And I'm going to tell you, you've got to start doing it. I ask God for a strategy. Wow. And, 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 and let me show you this. Once we believe God, once you get these four things down, here's what you've got to have. You've got to learn how to develop a strategy for success. A spiritual strategy for success. God is a strategic God. God is very strategic, and if you don't think God is strategic, you haven't spent enough time around him. Listen, they can tell us things about the universe that we are just now finding out, that God has been having in motion since the beginning of time. You have a cell phone, and on your cell phone, if you're connected to the network, all of our cell phones say the same time. All of them. Your watch may be off, but your cell phone says the same thing. Why? Because they use something that God created from beginning of time to set that up. So God is a strategic God. The problem with most of us is we don't get involved with God's strategy. So I'm going to end today, but I want to show you this. What is a strategy? You can write this down. I'll talk about this a little bit more next week. A strategy is simply a systematic arrangement of independent plans working in harmony with each other to accomplish a predetermined objective. I'm going to talk about this several weeks, so if you don't get it, I'll say it again, but then we'll, 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 we'll put it up there or whatever. It's a strategy. It's a strategy is simply a systematic arrangement of independent plans working in harmony with each other to accomplish a predetermined objective. Here is where most people tap out. they like, ugh, this feels like school. Some of y'all need to go to school. Everything can't be emotional. Everything that God wants to do for you can't come with goosebumps and tickles. Sometimes God wants you to sit down with a notebook and say, listen to me, write it down, make it plain so that when you run with it, you don't forget it. God is a God of strategy. God's word teaches us that planning is an important process of life. God, when you remember when Jacob, his father-in-law told him that he could marry one of the daughters and then he tricked him. So he had to work seven more years to get the other daughter. And he came to him and he said to him, he said, you know what? At the end of these years, you can have all of the spotted animals. He's like, cool. But then his father-in-law took all the spotted animals away. So how are you going to get spotted animals if you don't have spotted animals to begin with? God gave him a strategy. He said, here's what you do. He said, you get sticks and you paint spots on the sticks. And you put it in front of the animals. And every time they eat, every time they drink, every time they link, that spotted image is going to go on the inside of them. And then once it gets on the inside of them, they can't help to produce what's on the inside of them. The Bible says before you knew it, Jacob had more cattle than his father-in-law did. Where did that come from? It was a strategy. It was a plan that God gave him. 
The problem for most of us is we hear the story and we just go, woo, he got all these spotted animals. But you missed the whole strategy part. Strategy is kingly important. Here's what you got to understand. That when we are planning, God, God shows us that planning is indeed an absolute part of our life. I want to show you something. I want to skip my notes for just a second. Go to Luke. I don't know if you have it back there. You might have to find it. Luke 14, 28 through 30. Luke 14. You can just write this down, 28 through 30. I'm almost done. I'm going to come back and really get in this next week. God's word teaches us that planning is important. Take a neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. There, is there is nothing wrong with planning. People try to make you think that planning is not spiritual. That's not true. Like people laugh something, they go, Pastor, you write out all your notes. Well, God said it to me before I got here. The fact that you say he told you when you got here, what's the difference? You ain't deep because you didn't write notes. No, I'm, ser no, I'm serious. People are like, I just, I mean, I got pastor friends. They're like, man, I just get up and just preach. I know. Just because God gives you a plan doesn't mean that it's not spiritual. People are like, yeah, I'm going to get up and I'm going to move to so-and-so and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I go, how? The Lord. There's nothing wrong with planning. The Bible says this, Luke 14, 28 through 30. It says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. He says, would you not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it first? For if you lay the foundation and then don't have enough money to finish it, everybody who see it going to laugh at you. They're going to say this person began to build and wasn't able to even finish. I like the message translation. It's the closest thing we got to the hood version right now. We're working on that one, though. It says, is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure out how much you can afford? He says, do you, when you, 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 you talking about you finna build a new house, you're out there digging the foundation. Do you have enough for wood? <laughs> what about windows and doors and insulation? He says, if you don't sit down and figure all of that out first, he says, you're going to go out there and lay a foundation, but you're going to run out of money, and you're going to look foolish when you do it. He says, everyone passing by going to poke fun at you. They're going to say he started something he couldn't even finish. The hood version is a lot more livelier. But it's the same message. We don't do things without consulting God first. I believe God. But when God said we were going to pay off the debt here, he gave me a strategic plan to do it. Now, y'all superseded and did it faster, but I had a plan to do it. You got to have a plan. You got to say, when God says, I'm going to bless you to do X, Y, and Z, there is nothing wrong with saying, okay, I believe you, God. What's my next step? What is my next step? You want me to go to school? You want me to apply to this? You want me to go here? You want me to link up with these people? There's nothing wrong with having a plan. But understand, the plan ain't what's doing it. It's God. So even when God gives you a plan, you can't trust more in the plan than you trust in the giver of the plan. So when you have a strategy, here are some things you need. I'm going to give you these four. We're going to be finished. Four things you need. Four major components of any strategy. You could take this and employ this on your job. I'm telling you. This ain't just for church. Number one, if you're going to accomplish any, anything, and you, you need a strategy. And there's four components of this strategy. Number one, the goal. You need a goal. Why do we need a goal? There are four reasons that you need a goal. Four reasons that you need a goal. People hate setting goals, but there's nothing wrong with setting goals. You need a goal. Why? Because it helps you unearth and identify what's truly important to you. Number one, it unearths and it helps you to identify what's truly important to you. Take a neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. What, gets measured, what gets measured gets results. Part of my job, I manage the southern region for the company that I work for. We have a, a regional quota in the year of about $11.3 million in sales. I manage those sales weekly. 
You know why? Because I don't want to get to December and we got three million. Because now I don't work there no more. So I measure it with my team to see where we are in our sales projections. Why? Because whatever you're measuring is what's going to get results. People say things like this, man, me and Pastor was laughing at ourselves. We was like, man, we can't believe we got this big. I was thought, and then one day we were saying that to each other, and I said, I can't. We ate everything we liked and the good stuff twice. So we gained weight. Why? Because we weren't measuring it. Weight don't be like. Weight don't sneak up on you. Weight be like, here I am. You be like, come on. But then once you start to measure it, you can do something different about it. Well, that's why we set goals, because it helps us to identify what's truly important. The second reason we set goals, it gives you a long-term vision, and it gives you short-term motivation. Long-term vision, short-term motivation. You set a goal, by the end of the next two weeks, I want to lose three pounds. You lose, it's, it's, it's long-term, because you want to work on something long-term, but you need some short-term motivation. So when you go out to eat, and them cheese fries come, you go, oh, no, not today. Not next week, but not today. Because I got a short-term motivation. And hopefully short-term motivation will keep you going towards your long-term vision. That's why we set goals. That's why the Lord told Abraham, he said, hey, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Why? He gave him a long-term vision. He said, I want you to see. And so that everything that you do is working toward that long-term vision. The third thing it does is it focuses your acquisition of knowledge. It focuses your acquisition of knowledge, and it helps you to organize your time and resources so that you can make the most of both. It helps you to organize your time and resources. It helps you to focus your acquisition of knowledge. Pastor Sean says it all the time. If you, most of, some of y'all are in her group. She says it all the time. If you use social media as part of your business, then you got to spend more time on social media focused on the business rather than sharing funny memes. I don't use social media for no business, so I do funny memes. But, but that's why you got to have a strategy. If your strategy ain't my strategy, you can't be talking about what Pastor Edwin share funny memes. Pastor Edwin don't make any money off social media. But if you're supposed to be making money off of social media, your social media should look different than mine. <laughs> or you're going to lose some business. But here's what's funny. When you do things that God told you to do, I used to do a lot of political stuff on my social media. If you remember, I used to do a lot of political stuff. The Lord kind of told me, you know, just kind of step back from that. And I started sharing some other things, and people started laughing and different stuff. And I started sharing some things. And I tried to get too inappropriate, but hey, you know, it's me. So I do the best I can. I'm working on it. <laughs> And so, and so I, I share stuff, and, and literally, I got people nowadays who wake up in the morning and send me messages saying, hey, are you posting today? <laughs> Somebody asked me for my cash app one time. I got $200 just last week because people were like, hey, your thing made me laugh at work. I was ready to kill my boss, and I read one of your things, and I didn't, so here's $20. <laughs> Anytime you begin to follow God, he will cause increase to come to you no matter how you're doing it. I got folks like, Pastor, when you going to put out your petty shirt? Soon. <laughs> you just got to learn to trust and believe God. So when you, try, when you make a goal, it helps you to acquire the, the right knowledge, right? If you're trying to build a business, you don't need to be reading. If you're trying to build a cooking business, you don't need to be reading a magazine about robotics. I mean, it may be interesting, but is that going to help you acquire the right knowledge for your baking business? No. If, 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 if I'm supposed to be doing direct marketing, I don't want to spend all my time doing something that's not going to go along with it. i got to spend my time and resources for the right thing. So that's the third thing. That's the reason why we set goals. It helps us to prioritize our time and where we get our knowledge from. And then the last one, which is probably the most important, is because we glorify God when we live on purpose. We glorify God when we live on purpose. When you and I decide to, to do what we're supposed to do and we have a, a strategy for doing it, it actually is glorifying God. It's, I, Pastor Sean and I talk about this all the time. I don't think everybody is supposed to be an entrepreneur. 
I think being an entrepreneur can be one of your income streams, but some of you actually are called to medicine. Some of you are called to education. Some of you are called to art. Some of you are called to fashion. Some of you are called to, to politics. Whatever you're called to, but, but, but everybody didn't have to be an entrepreneur, but whatever you're doing, if you are following God, he will give you a strategy to be successful. Yes. I remember when people told me years ago, they said, you can't make no money in education. Mm, I don't know about all that. That ain't what God told me, and I know he told me to be in education. And ever since that time, now I got people telling me, how do how you make that much money in education? Because God said you could. There was, there's a whole genre of jobs that didn't exist when I was in college. We got to be careful when we tell young people what they can't do. Can you imagine if Ninja's parents had told him, stop, y'all don't know who Ninja, some of y'all don't know who Ninja is. I'll tell you in a second. If Ninja's parents had said to him, boy, put that video game up. That's the dumbest thing you ever did in your life. Ninja makes $500,000 a month playing video games. And that was before he switched from Twitch to Microsoft, which gave him $4 million as a signing bonus to play Now, I ain't telling y'all to quit your job <laughs> to play no video games. Our benevolence is not that big. What I'm telling you is that if you hear God tell you something, you should trust God. And even if you miss it, if you are trusting God from a pure place, he will turn that thing around. You don't have to be afraid to believe God. So, Pastor, what do we need to believe God? Number one. If you're going to believe God, you got to have a game plan. What's the game plan? It's a systematic scheduling of events based on knowledge. You need a game plan. Say, I need a game plan. That's the first thing. Number two, you need a group. What's a group? It's the key participants who are going to participate in the game of life with you. If you're going to have a strategy, you need to have a game plan. And you need to have a group. And you need to know that you can't always be tied to the same group. Because who God calls you to do business with today, it may not be who he calls you to do business with tomorrow. And you ain't got to stop this whole thing that you got to fall out with people before you stop doing business with them. You don't have to fall out with people. Where I'm going this season, maybe I may need you on my team. You may need me on your team. But where we go next season, we may not be on the same team. So you got to always be asking. The, the worst thing you can do is try to pull somebody with you when they were not designed to go. Learn my lesson back in 2005. Never forget it. Never do it again. When people don't want to be with you, do not try to make them. The worst thing you can do is try to pull people along with you. Because it's not always that, that you wrong or they wrong. Sometimes it's just time to go separate ways. So you got to know, okay, God, in this season of my life, who am I supposed to be teaming with? Because everybody who's doing something that you're doing may not necessarily be the person you need to team with. So you got to have a game plan and you got to have a group. Other thing you got to have is you got to have the goal. We talked about the goal. You got to have a goal. You got to have a game plan. You got to have the group. And the last thing you need if you're going to have an effective strategy is you got to know what the government is. Government. What is the government? It is the management process. For how you're going to stay on course. How are you going to stay on course? You want to lose weight? What's your accountability? Who, who's the team of people around you you're going to get to help you? So, if I, so we, we, let's just use, let's use, let's use weight gain, uh, weight loss. So if I'm, I'm going to lose weight, I got to have a goal. I need to have a goal. I need to have something measurable. And it needs to be something realistic. You can't be like, I'm going to lose 100 pounds next week. Not if you're going to live. You need to set a realistic goal. I want to lose some weight. All right, if I'm going to lose some weight, that's my goal. Okay, what's my game plan? My game plan changed my eating, move more. That's my game plan. Okay, who are the people going to put in my life to help me do that? Okay, and watch this. You can't put people on your team and then be mad at them for doing their job. <laughs> if you ask me to be your accountability partner and I count you, and you talk about why I'm in your business, I'm done. I am not going to be sweating you about your goals. 
So you need to go, you need a game plan, and then you need a group. And in that group, you got to make sure you can take feedback from the group. And then lastly, you need government. Government says, what's the management process for making this happen? What's going to be my check-ins? Who am I going to check in with? How often am I going to check in? What am I going to do if I find myself off track? Those are the strategies you need once you say you believe God. God, I believe you said you're going to do X. Okay, how do you want me to proceed, God? What's my goal, God? What's my game plan, God? What, 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 what's my group? Who's my group, God? What, what, what's going to be my management plan, God? Ask God those questions. Don't just be like, God said, I believe I receive. You believe you receive what? What do you believe you receive? Lord, I believe I receive this thing you told me. Now give me the strategy for doing it. That's what David did. David came back, him and his men from Ziglag. The Bible says they had burnt Ziglag down, took David's wife, his kids, took all his men's kids. And David didn't just take off. Most of them just took off chasing them. But if you read the story, what you find out is that David didn't even know where they were. He came back and it was already burned down. The Bible says he went to God and he said, God, shall I pursue them? God says, yes, and you shall utterly overtake them. The Bible says David pursued. Here's the question. How did he know where to go? There's only one logical answer. He asked God. Where they at, though? Hey. <laughs> That's what he at. Where they at, though? Because they, because they, they done came here and burned everything down. You know, the, the, the men who was with me, they talking about killing me. They talking about stoning me. You, I hear you say I can, I can go get them. Where they at, though? <laughs> so they over there. <laughs> they over there. They went that away. The Bible says David went and killed them all and took his wife and his kids, their possessions and the other possessions they had. He came back richer than when he left. And when you follow God, you will come out of the situation richer than when you left. Amen.